The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, Typology Tribe. Ian Morgan Cron here, host of the podcast on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of Anthony Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Morgan Cron, how are you doing? My co-host here on the Enneagram-based show Typology. Yes. How you doing, my brother? I'm great, and I'm especially excited today because we're doing something that's new for us, Mailbag Thursday. You want to tell all the good people why we're doing this, Ian? You know why? Because we have so many questions that come in through DMs, through Instagram, through all kinds of uh, sources. Just random questions people have about the Enneagram. And we've been getting these for a while. We've been talking about doing an episode around them. And I'm going to be feeding you questions unrehearsed. That's right. <laughs> because we don't want to fall out of the habit of doing pretty much everything unrehearsed. <laughs> then it wouldn't be in keeping with the show. That's we, right. That's it would right. start to sound like we were professional or something. I just, I'll reach into the hat, pull them out. <laughs> hey, before we move on with Mailbag Thursday, I want to remind everybody about your Enneagram Made Simple course. Bring it. Yeah. We want to remind everyone that the Enneagram Made Simple course is available now at EnneagramMadeSimple.com. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to Enneagram Made Simple and all of the courses in Business Made Simple University for an entire year. That's a great deal. Mm -hmm. So to get more information, make sure you go check out EnneagramMadeSimple.com. All right. Let's move on with our special mailbag episode. And we'll start with a question from Kyle McGinnis, and the title is Doing Your Work. He says, on a few episodes of your podcast and several times in the book, you talk about doing your work. It's a common expression in the Enneagram community. I know what it means, he says, but what does it look like, practically speaking, especially for a four and one who is taught that emotions shouldn't be trusted or expressed? Ooh. Wow. So doing the work. Doing the work. So for me, yeah. my, my understanding of doing the work is learning to grow in self-awareness in such a way that you're no longer living in mm. kind of the automatic pilot zone of your type. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, so in other words, it's like, how do I grow in, 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 in this level of self-observation and self-awareness that, that helps to free me from the self-defeating darker aspects of my type so that I can live into the most healthy expression of my essence as a person. Ooh, that's really good, Ian. So I'm thinking, could you give us a couple of tools that would help us more actively practice self-awareness and self-observation? What are a couple of things we can do to amplify our awareness on a daily basis okay so well number one is you got to become familiar with your type okay so you really have to become a student of your type you need to know what your 
you know, generally what the overall characteristics of your type are, mm-hmm. you need to know what your passion is. So for me mm-hmm. and for Kyle, it's, it's envy for mm-hmm. fours, right? Mm-hmm. You need to begin to learn to know when envy is beginning to take the wheel mm-hmm. in your life and activating all the negative aspects of your personality, right? Sending them into action. Right, right. right? Um, it's about learning where you go in security and stress to know mm-hmm. that, okay, right now I'm in a stressful place. I am beginning. So if you're a, a four, mm-hmm. right, I am now beginning to look like someone who's operating on the low side of two. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. that when you're there, you can say to yourself, now, do I want to stay in this low side or do I want to make different choices? Because I've done enough work in terms of self-awareness and self-observation, I've developed enough self-knowledge that I can begin to say, okay, I'm now gonna start to act like a healthy two, not an unhealthy two. That's good. right? So let me ask you one more question about that. Regarding envy, for instance, people's definition or expression of that may differ. And so I'm wondering how you might be mindful noticing when envy is at work in your personality. Could you talk about that a little bit? Right. So for me, um, number one, I've learned to know what envy feels like in my body. That's good. So, uh, and we've never really had a conversation around somatics Mm -hmm. and the Enneagram. Like, this is true for every type. Like an eight can begin to know in their body when lust has taken over. Right. The, their, their deadly sin or their passion of lust. A nine can begin to know in their body when sloth has taken over. A one, when anger and resentment has taken over. Twos, when uh, pride is taking over, right? You, so a two, for example, might begin to feel like this incredible like pull in the middle of their chest to say yes or to jump in and help mm, somebody. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, I, I can feel envy kind of bubbling up. Mm -hmm. It starts kind of like in my gut and starts to move up into my chest. And it's this kind of deflated, um, I'm comparing myself to others. I'm starting to feel inferior. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, that comparing mind of mine is going. And what if, the what ifs set in like, oh man, what if I had made this choice? And Envy, sometimes for me, envy comes with a feeling of regret Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, sometimes it's the feeling of just disappointed in the moment. Like this moment is not living up to my ideal of what this moment could be. And so I've just learned to pay attention to feelings. And so this is stuff you develop. This is what this is the sort of constituent parts of self-awareness. Right. You're in touch with your body, your thoughts, your feelings and you're observing them Mm -hmm. in a way that is not critical or damning or judging, you're just observing them and saying, oh, look, I'm falling into the old story again. It's time to make a choice. Do I want to continue down this path and knowing that it it never ends anywhere but bad, or do I want to make new choices? That's good. That's the work. All right. That's a great answer. Reach in the bags, pull it out. This is from Emily Schenk. Hello, Emily Schenk. And the subject is healing modalities for a five. Oh. She says, as a five, I spend so much time in my head. I wonder, do you have recommendations for modalities that also integrate the other centers? Are there specific types of therapy that engage the body? Are there other activities that you'd suggest for healing? 
Thank mm. you for the work that you do. Mm, that's such a good question. That is a great question. It's also a very five question. I <laughs> right? love that. So I good. would say that regardless of type and regardless of the dominant center out mm-hmm. of which you tend to live, mm-hmm. that um, what CBT or what's called cognitive behavioral therapy okay. is really um, a good modality. And I think it's be great for five. So basically in, with CBT, and I'm not going to go into sort of a, a, an exhaustive sort of explanation of it is, it's sort of like, can I surface and begin to challenge the beliefs, uh, the taken for granted beliefs that are, are not really working for me anymore? Mm. Um, you know, because uh, the way that I think affects the way that I feel that then affects the way that I act and the way that I act re- oftentimes confirms um, negative patterns that only reinforces then the way that I think, mm. the way that I feel, the way that I act. So it just kind of goes in a, a, a negative cycle, right. right? And so you want to break out of that cycle of thinking. Okay. It's actually, it, research has shown that it's wonderful to, for depression, anxiety disorders, for all kinds of things. So I think cognitive behavioral therapy is really a great modality for anybody in in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of body work, I would just tell um, an, you know there are therapists who do body work, so mm-hmm. that's something you could ask when you go into a session. You sure, know? but but I would also say um, that five should be doing yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, five should be doing anything that gets them out of their head. Right, so far. Uh, removed into their headspace and back into their bodies. We just talked about that with our episode with Amanda Cook. That's right. Talked about yoga, dancing. Yoga, dancing is fantastic. Uh, you know, running, anything where the body is engaged and so that the, the that thinking center isn't so dominant. Right. Right. Get them back into their bodies. So important for fives. That's good. By the way, uh, did we not have a great time dancing at Mary Keith's birthday party? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What was the name of the dance again? The Carolina what? <laughs> the uh, Shag. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I learned the Carolina Shag. We had a blast. That's the name of a dance I never want to use again. <laughs> The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. (laughs) <laughs> okay here we go reaching into the hat and caitlin george the title is struggle to identify mm. number confusion yes i can't tell if i am a nine or a four mm. and all of my studying has made me more confused i'm strongly connected to my emotions and strongly avoid conflict how do I figure out which number I am when I'm stuck halfway in the middle between two numbers? Mm. Man, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Now, now <clears throat> without going too much into detail, a nine and a four, based on what she's saying, could right. be a little similar because fours, fives, and nines are on the withdrawing stance. Right. So uh, when we encounter conflict, uh, pressure, when we want to get things, uh, Fours, fives, and nines tend to withdraw. So let's say, for example, an eight is married to a four. Well, an eight is in the aggressive stance. 
Mm-hmm. So often in a marriage, let's say you had an eight and a four, when a disagreement comes up, the, the nine wants to withdraw and the eight wants to assert. Right. So it's like one of those things we call it the, in, in therapy, we call it the assert withdrawal dance, right? The, the, right. the eight's going, we got to solve Leaning this problem. Yeah, Let's, we got to get right at it. And the, nine, and, and the nine would be saying, or the four would be saying, I got to go to another room in the house. <laughs> right. You know, I'm going to go down to the basement, work right. on my toolbox, you know. Right. And then the eight goes down the stairs into the basement going, no, you can't go down here. We got to right. talk this out. And then they go upstairs and start. So... You know, uh, that might be one reason that mm. they're confused, confusing mm-hmm. themselves with it. Now, one way to know for sure. Okay. Look at the unconscious motivations. Okay. Right? Don't look at behaviors. I'm always telling this to people. That's good. It, it don't, your, your type is not dependent on, it's not determined by what you do, but by why you do it. Right. Right. Because you're all nine numbers. Right. If you try to so figure good. out your type on the basis of characteristics and traits, you will be utterly confused because you embody or inhabit you contain all nine types, right? Right. All right. So for a nine, unconscious motivation. The, the nine's unconscious motivation is a need to maintain connection with other people, to uh, maintain inner peace and tranquility. And here's the, here's the kicker. Okay. And a need to avoid conflict. Okay? All right. For the four. The unconscious motivation for a four is to be special and unique. Four okay. believes that they're missing something essential in their core makeup, uh-huh. and that the only way that they can recapture that missing piece is by being special and unique in order to distinguish themselves and differentiate themselves from every other type, right? Mm-hmm. So, which of those two do you most identify with? That's okay, good. that's the first level. First thing I would do. Second thing I would do is I would go look at the subtypes, especially for fours. There's three very different subtypes for fours. They're so different that they almost look like three different numbers. Right. So remember we talked about the Enneagram as being a fluid system, right? Yeah. So with each type, okay, you know your type, right? Mm -hmm. Low resolution picture. Just I know my type. Then you know your type and your wing. Now you have another layer of clarity, Mm -hmm. right? Another layer of distinction. Mm-hmm. Then you learn about your any your your number, your type, uh, your your type, your wing, and then your subtype. Well, now you've got a whole other level right. of dis, of clarity and distinction. So the more you, you sort of dig down, like for me, it took me getting down into subtypes to figure out my type. Okay. Because if I had just read types, yes. you know what I would have come out as? A three seven, or a seven. Seven, yeah. Right. Yeah. I happen to be called what's what's known as a sunny four, the sunny four, uh-huh. which is the counter type of the four. So, again, I would just say, look at the unconscious motivations, mm-hmm. then go down to the subtypes to see if it gives you that added layer of clarity that will help you nail the type. Great answer. Thank you, Ian. All right. Let's reach back into the bag. Here we go. All right. Here is one from Grant Banks. I am new to the Enneagram and I've taken two short tests, one being the one on your website, which have both identified me as a three. This made sense as I've learned more about the three type. It definitely seems to apply. I've identified a lot of I identified a lot with your episode with Jeff Goins. However, I just listened to your episode with Lisey Camp and identified with almost everything he was saying as well, especially the voice and the head 
telling you how you failed, ruminating on failures and struggling to get over the anger they bring up, and the perfectionist mindset of being critical of your inability to do everything right every time. Is this, is this, a, com, is this a common misidentification? Since the type 3 and type 1 seem similar, what are the distinguishing factors between the two? Oh, man, that is such a good question. Yes, um, you know, average ones and average threes often get sort of mistyped, right? Right. Uh, because both of those types uh, can be pretty driven, mm-hmm. task-oriented, very efficient, highly organized, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's oftentimes... And threes, remember, would want to pursue real excellence if not sometimes perfection so uh, by the way let me give you a story about this that was so fascinating i have a friend of mine who had this issue Uh we've had him on the show before i won't say who it is but he's definitely a three for the longest time he thought he was a one now oh wow here's how he figured this out okay so he was having uh, lawn work done in the backyard and um the uh gardener was supposed to really edge the new gardens Okay. Really well and mulch it. But he went outside and it drove him crazy because the edging wasn't perfect. Okay. And he thought, I must be a one because the first thing I noticed when I came out here was that the edging on this thing wasn't perfect. And it's really bothering me and making me kind of angry. And he said, but then I realized, I asked myself the question, well, why is this making me angry? And he said, well, I had to be honest Mm. with myself. I didn't like the fact that it wasn't done perfectly because of how it reflected on me. Wow. I had friends coming over that night for a cocktail party in the backyard, and I was angry that it not being perfect was going to make me not look successful. Wow. So it wasn't that it wasn't done right or executed properly. Right. It was that not having it right was going to compromise his image as having, you know, being a successful guy with a garden. It looks beautiful. See, that's where the nuance of this thing gets important, Mm -hmm. right? So here's just one other way to maybe think about the difference between threes and ones. Okay. Okay, that might be helpful. Ones are idealists and threes are pragmatists. Okay. okay? So let me let me explain the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Threes are driven more by their goals than they are by standards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, in other words, they care more about getting a job done than about how it gets done. Right. All right. So the idealist one cares a lot about how it gets done. Right. There are standards and protocols and guidelines. There's a right way and a wrong way to get things done. And they can be pretty uncompromising about it. Right. The one can be a little more pragmatic. It's like, I want to get this done, but... I'm the less concerned about the standards. Mm-hmm. I just want to get to the goal line. Right. Uh, so they're willing to cut corners. They're willing to bend rules. They're mm-hmm. willing to skip over protocols or they'll be tempted to at the very least in order to cross the finish line first. So it's the difference between someone who's an idealist and someone who's a pragmatist. That might help them determine which of those they more identify with. All right. Pulling out of the hat here. Here we go. Andrea Lang. And the subject is parental influence. Mm. How do your parents influence the favor of your... Okay, no. How do your parents influence the flavor of your number? For example, as a one with a four mom, I am aware that I grew up thinking perfection was attainable. 
she often functioned out of her one place of security. Plus, many of the codes I hold as a one are wrapped up in her individualism. For example, I believe homemade and unique is way more important than fitting in. So that's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, listen, um, our, our parents have, without, you know, without any doubt, play an incredibly important role in our development in, in every way, right? So I can't discount that. I do believe, obviously, that children are born with a temperament and a disposition. It's mm-hmm. really genetics and biology, right? So okay. I think that has a large um, sort of influence in the, our personality type. Okay. That's called fixed traits. Okay. Okay. So those are just traits you're born with. Guess what? You you just got it. I mean, it's like it's no way you're going to lather, rinse, repeat that out of your personality, right? Okay. Then you have what's called uh, free traits. Free traits, uh, you know, might be the kinds of things that the environment, the culture, your parents, your school, your peers, your socioeconomic class, all these different things could really just come into this messy soup that creates the personality style that, that you adopt early on, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that as a one, you know, her worldview has been affected and it has been shaped and colored by her her mother's influence. Now, what's interesting about four one is fours and ones, you know, sometimes get confused with each other mm-hmm. because both actually have inner critics. I think the volume on the inner critic of the one is is turned up higher, mm-hmm. and they're up. And the inner critic has two different sort of roots uh, for the for the four. The, 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 they're driven this perf- it's really about they're idealists but in a again it sounds like I just said this about ones right but uh, ideal meaning that they're always after the ideal the unattainable the unachievable mm-hmm. the platonic ideal that which they they want and they're always disappointed that they can't get right. the perfect symphony the perfect dance the perfect floral arrangement the perfect aesthetic you know what I mean right so they're they're after but but for the one, it's a it's a different dynamic. Um, for them, it's about wanting to avoid a mistake and wanting to uh, assuage the inner critic inside that's trying to help them not make a mistake that would lead to you know a state of unworthiness of love and mm-hmm. relationship, right? So. You know, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing. It's just just be aware. Of course, your parents pay, play a very important role in your development of your of your personality. It's important, uh, but to remember though that your type is your type. Right. How you rinse it out, the worst sides of it. I just think that's part of the work. You know. Yes, I remember you really helping me distinguish the difference between the one and the four, Ian. Uh, with the one seeking perfection right. and the four seeking the ideal or the unattainable right. ideal. Now, when I said when, in that earlier question, yeah, when I said that ones are idealists mm-hmm. and threes are pragmatists, right? When I met, it's different in that context. An idealist in that sense has to do with standards, right? Okay, they have ideals in the sense of standards. That made sense, ones, yeah. But it, so it's a different thing when I say idealist is fours, which has to do with they're wanting to achieve or or attain that platonic ideal the mm-hmm. highest sort of expression of, of a work you know what i mean and we do share so, a line there right you so, do we do share a line absolutely yeah. so there there's some overlap there yeah okay back in the mailbag pulling it out here bethany perkins can you talk more about the triads and wings what does it mean to be in each of the triads and how do wings change the expression of your number 
Boy, that's a good question. That is a good question. All right, three triads mm-hmm. on the Enneagram. Eight nines and ones, anger triad, or sometimes known as the gut triad. Mm-hmm. Twos, threes, and fours, heart triad, sometimes known as the shame triad. Mm-hmm. Five, six, and sevens, the fear triad, right, or sometimes known as the head triad. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, one way to think about this is you've got what are sometimes called the cardinal numbers, three, six, and nine. Right. Okay. So, can you explain what that is when you say the cardinal numbers? Well, you'll notice that they're both in the center of all three triads. Right. Right. That's the the big inner triangle there, right? Three, six, and nine. Yeah. So, um, eight is an externalized expression uh, of nine, Mm -hmm. and one is an internalized expression, right? So, eights overexpress that instinctual drive mm-hmm. and anger. Mm-hmm. It's overexpressed. Right. For ones, it's underexpressed. Right. Okay? Yeah. For nines, it's asleep. Wow. Make sense? Yeah, totally. And you're going to see this pattern in every single triad. Yeah. Twos, threes, and fours. Twos are overly attuned to the feelings of others. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the externalized expression of three. Right. Four isn't uh, an internalized focus or attunement of feelings, right? right? The two knows all about your feelings. The four knows all about his or her own feelings. Exactly, right. The three says, what feelings? Right. In a way, there's this kind of out-of-touchness, the inability to recognize their own feelings or the feelings of others. Mm-hmm. Five, six, and seven, fear triad, right? S- uh, five is an internalized... Uh, relationship with with fear right Right. so in other words they're internalizing yeah uh seven is an externalized right right way of dealing with fear Mm -hmm. six is i don't know what to do with my fear Mm. now there are two types of sixes to be clear right the phobic six is in touch with their fear yeah the counterphobic six is afraid but doesn't recognize it right Right. Yeah. And so those are that's a little bit trickier than it is for uh, the other two triads, right? Um, so, and here's an interesting thought. And just in closing on that, okay. You know, nine is up at the at the the crown of right. the enneagram on the top. So one way of thinking about the whole enneagram is we all fall asleep. Mm. So it's almost like think of the nine, which is sloth, which right. We we tend to think of. Uh, being asleep to their own lives might characterize a nine. But actually, the nine is the archetype on the Enneagram. It's almost like, think of it like a waterfall coming down both sides of the Enneagram. Mm. And it's we all are falling asleep mm-hmm. to ourselves. Right. We, we all are out of touch with our true essence. And so out of that nine almost is like the headwaters mm. of that falling asleep as it yeah. comes down around both sides of the Enneagram. Wow. I hope that helps. I mean, that was a fun thing to go through. Totally. All right, let's reach back in the bag. Ooh, the bag. Here we go. Kendall Neely. Mm. Is a wing something that is static? Like identify as a six with a five, or six wing five. But I also have some seven tendencies at times. And I've heard people use language about accessing a certain wing. As a six, do I have access to both the five and seven, or am I one or the other? Could you speak to that, please? It really depends on the teacher. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I think, I'm always very careful about not being an Enneagram fundamentalist. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, like, yeah. oh, it's always a six with a five. You can never. Now, so to be clear, some of you all know this, but it's important if you don't. So let's say you're a six. Mm-hmm. Some will say that in the first half of life, if you're a six with a five wing, uh, around midlife, you'll start to, don't be surprised if you migrate to being a six with a seven wing. Right. Right. I, I tend to think, you know, I'm a, I'm a four. My dominant or heavy wing is three. Okay. Does that mean I can't tap into the resources and the energy of my, my other tri, my other partner on the other side there at right. five? Right. Of course not. I, there's, as we, we were talking about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. When you and I first met, mm-hmm. I was much more of a four with a five wing. Right. Um, and, but in the last few years, as I've started to create a business, uh, some of my relationships have been with more threes, Right, my three wing has activated in a very powerful way. Yeah. So I'm one of those people who's like, I'm always saying, don't be surprised if, mm, because here's the thing about, good. here's the thing about personalities. Okay. This is important. And I don't think I've ever said this on the show. When you're talking about personality, you're talking about probabilities. I hear people say to me, oh, you know, the Enneagram is is like a, uh, you know, it helps you predict. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I like the word probability. Mm. Um, when you talk about a four, you, you let's say, okay, so Ian goes home and his house is burned down. Okay. Um, I can predict how he would react as a four, right? So, but when you do that, what you're really talking about is probabilities. Mm-hmm. It's probable mm. that Ian will do X when he discovers, as a four, when right. he discovers his house burned down. Right. But it's only a probability. Yeah. It's not determined. It's not a guarantee. People surprise us all the time. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, uh, what I mean by not being a fundamentalist in the Enneagram, I'm like, you know, I, I tend to believe that don't be surprised if. It's probable. Right. That you as a six with a five wing will act this way. Does it mean that you can't tap into the resources of seven? And I'm like, no, it doesn't mean that at all. You can certainly go and use up those resources there. But I always want to remind people that your type isn't like something that's predetermined. You will always act this way. It's very, very cut and dry. It's like, no, this is about probabilities. Right. You will, based on type, probably act, think, or feel like this mm-hmm. in a given situation. But maybe not. Right. Don't be a fundamentalist. Right. Oh, can I say one more thing on that? Yeah. Okay, because this is important. Nobody is pure type. There you go. Maybe that's all I need to say. Yeah. Nobody is a pure type. That's good. You got a dominant type, but no one's pure type. Right. Right? Again, this again speaks to probabilities uh, that in that type of yours you there's probable you will act think and feel in this particular way but you're not a pure four you're not a pure seven you're just dominant in that space fantastic well we're out of time ian thank you for answering our questions on this special mailbag episode mailbag thursday which was awesome what are we gonna do this again i love that i think we should make it a regular thing what do you think I'm totally into it. All right. So what do people do to get their questions to us? Hey, we've made that real simple. Just email us at typology at ianmorgancron.com. Again, that's typology at ianmorgancron.com. Hey, we'll collect those emails, toss them in the hat, pull them out, and answer some on our very next mailbag episode. Yeah, man. Thanks, everybody, for throwing in your questions. Ian, what is that you always say at the end of every episode? Well, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is is already already taken. taken.